I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore. Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. We worship at Island Creek Elementary School, 7855 Morning View Lane, every Sunday at 10 a.m. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. Hey, Kingstown. Back on Memorial Day weekend, we met in the park and our sound quality and our video quality during the service was really poor. We were having the trees were interfering with our connection to Wi-Fi. And so this sermon was almost impossible to hear. And many of you have said you weren't there and you really want to catch up. And so we are re-recording it so that you can feel like you had the whole of this sermon series defining our terms, that the word that day was the word liberal. And so here are the scripture for that week. It's from John 10 verses 1 through 16. Very truly, I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all of his own, he goes ahead of them. And the sheep follow him because they know his voice. And they will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them. And they did not understand what he was saying to them. So again, Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and bandits. But the sheep did not listen to him. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I come so that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them, and the hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. 
I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So we have been working our way through a sermon series called Defining Our Terms, and we have dug into that word orthodox, and today we counter that word, add to that word with this word liberal. When I think of this word liberal, I think of Dalier, one of our confirmands. At our confirmation retreat uh, a few months back, we gathered around a fire pit and Miss Alyssa came up with this game. I guess it was a game. This game where the confirmands could ask the pastor any questions they wanted to ask me. And she called it Stump the Pastor. And and if I could not be stumped by their question, I got to ask them a question in return. And so we went around the, the fire, of course, and there were questions, um, good questions, as we went around about what heaven looks like. And, and, and there were questions about, about God and about Jesus and what this Holy Spirit is. And then, and then we got to Dalier. And Dalier took a few a few moments to formulate his question. He didn't exactly know how to word it, uh, but but he threw it out and he said, "Michelle, do we do we believe that that God is one God, or that there are multiple other gods that God is competing with? And, and if we believe that, what what do we believe God thinks?" of those other people who worship those other gods? What, what do we think of those people who worship other gods? Well, um, you know, Dalier, Dalier asked this question and I tried to answer it and I fumbled to form an answer for it and it, uh, it was complicated and honestly I think I, I pretended to have gotten it right and I think I answered it horribly then and so today this sermon is for Dalier because Dalier's question is a big one. Dalier's question reminded me of, of a book that I read a long time ago. Um, it's called Love Wins by Rob Bell. Rob Bell was kind of deemed a heretic after writing this book. Uh, <laughs> I don't think he is, but, um, but he tells this story in his book that, that he went to this art exhibit and there was the, the title of the exhibit was Where is God? And there was this picture of, of Gandhi and many people came through the exhibit and all of a sudden they noticed something etched into the bottom of the painting of Gandhi. Somebody had taken the time to add some graffiti to the painting and the words at the bottom read, reality check, Gandhi is in hell now. And, and Rob Bell, the author of this book, is like, Really? Gandhi? Gandhi's in hell? Are you sure of that? Can you be sure that Gandhi is in hell? And, and not only do we know this for sure, but you're willing to put this out publicly on a post like this in front of all these people on this painting. Is that the faith of Jesus? Is that what this whole thing is about? 
it's about naming who's in and who's out and who's in hell and who's in heaven. This has become the major stumbling block for those people who are leaving the church, right? This sort of exclusivity that they, that they believe is bred within the church. This is one of the main beefs people have with who we are. And it seems like it's easier to perpetuate this kind of narrative that Christians are in and everyone else is out when the world wasn't so pluralistic, when the world seems so far away from us. But, but in, our, in our day in D.C. Metro America, it, it's kind of a melting pot. You know that. And you're just as likely to live next door to a Buddhist as you are a Baptist. Just as likely to live next door to a Hindu as you are a heathen. And in the middle of that pluralistic world, it's become more and more problematic for people to swallow that pill that my neighbor, whom I I love, or I at least like my neighbor, I at least tolerate my neighbor maybe, (laughs) that my neighbor isn't loved by God. And do the movements of God end inside the walls of the church? And are those people who are in God's favor only those people who have had a membership somewhere at some time in a church? Are they, the, are they only the people who come to church on a Sunday? Are they only the people who are baptized? Are they only the people who have had some sort of inward change in their heart? Are, are, are they only the people who have said with their mouth that Jesus is Lord? I mean, is that what it takes Is that what it takes? Is that what it takes to get on God's good side? And if you don't do any of that, you're doomed to hell. And the millions upon billions of people who have never stepped foot into a church in the history of humanity, you realize that Christianity is a vast minority given the history of the world. Those billions upon billions of people who who didn't know anything about the Bible, are they they now burning in hell right now with Gandhi too? this has been exasperated when, when, when tsunami hits Japan and, you know, theologians begin to get called on news networks after an exhaustive 24 hours of scientists. And they kept asking these theologians on the news networks, why, why would something like this happen? Why would a tsunami hit Japan? And what about those Buddhists and those Shintos or those Taoists? Where are they now? This is the stumbling block for so many of our siblings in faith, those skeptics who want to hang on to faith but cannot worship a God who sends people arbitrarily to hell if they haven't been baptized or haven't confessed the actual name of Jesus Christ as Lord. This, at the the center of, of, of Rob Bell's question in this book, seems to lie this question, is... Is there only one way to God? At the center of Dollier's question that day, what do we think of people who, who worship other gods? What does God think of these people? At the center of Dollier's question, it's really a question of, is there only one way to God? This question, is there only one way to God, I believe is the question we ask as we get at, as we seek to define this word liberal for the church, what does it mean for us to be theologically orthodox and also theologically liberal? First of all, we've got to get rid of all the things we think liberal means. And so today, I'm going to tell you a few things I do not mean when I say the word liberal. First, 
I am not speaking of it politically. So if you're thinking parties in your head, if you are thinking a particular color in your head, a particular animal in your head, if you are moving down the road of politics, I asked you to put that aside. That is not what we're going to talk about today when we talk about liberal. We're talking liberal theologically. But when I talk liberal theologically, there's also something we don't mean. Here, a Christian church, a Methodist, a Wesleyan Orthodox church, when we say we are theologically liberal, we, we do not mean that our theology is so wide that everyone, every viewpoint has a, a predominant and equal voice in the room. What I mean by this is there are some churches you may walk into on a Sunday morning who are just as likely to read from, from the pulpit the words of Martin Luther King as they are the words of Jesus. And there are some churches that you may find yourself in on a Sunday morning who, who claim to be liberal, who are just as likely to read from the Quran as they are from the Bible. That is not us here as a theologically orthodox, as a Wesleyan church. The Bible, the words of Jesus, will be central to what we do. And so if you're thinking about liberal in that way, that is also not what we mean. But what we mean by this word liberal is that our orthodoxy, our right belief, has this this generosity to it, this openness to it. At the center of this word liberal is that question, is there only one way to God? And for us, as you would expect a Methodist pastor to say, the answer is yes and no. St. John is a faithful guide for us as we sit with this question, as we sit with this word, as we sit with this question, is there only one way to God? And as we sit with this word liberal and what does it mean for us here at Kingstown, John is the most cosmic of all the gospel writers. You know, there are four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels because their narrative follows pretty much the same trail. They kind of start at the same point and they have a whole lot of the same stories in common and they kind of end at the same place. And so they're called the synoptics. They move together. But, but John is this wild card who nobody is even really sure how he even got in the Bible to begin with. There are other Gospels that could have been in there. The, the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Peter, that they didn't make the cut though. But, but John's somehow did. The early church thought that his voice, though different from the other Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, had something true in it. As we explore this word liberal today, may we lean on the truth of John's voice. That the gospel was proclaimed rightly by John, and John will become our faithful guide as we think about the way to God in this question, in this word. John's is the most cosmic. While Matthew, Mark, and Luke start their stories with the camera tightly zoomed in on the Middle East, naming our particularities and people and camera shots up close, things like shepherds and Mary and Joseph and and an angel, John starts his cosmic story with the camera view 
wide on all creation. And to begin to tell us about Jesus, John tells us about our beginning. In the beginning was God and the word of God, the logic, the knowledge of God created everything in the cosmos. This being, this divine spark, this divine life was the light of the world, says John. And this light, it lit up life in everybody, everywhere you went. If something was alive, it's because this God was initiating it and sustaining it. And this is that cosmic view. And so according to John, everything, the stars and the Saudi Arabians, the mountains and the Muslims, the craters on the moon and the Christians on the earth are because of this God and every expression of life finds its common origin in that being. George Lucas calls it the force. Buddhists call it Zen. Hindus call it enlightenment. Jews call it the great I am. It's this inescapable thing. It's inescapable that every single culture in the history of creation has nodded to the presence of this divine being. C.S. Lewis, in his opening chapter of Mere Christianity, talks about the universality of God's presence. In every culture, there is God, he says. This is where John begins. And then John's camera gets very tight, and he pins in on the person of Jesus. And it's that move that's distinctly a Christian move. It's that move that says here at the Kingstown Communion, central to our worship will be the reading of scripture, not the reading of all these other writers, but the reading of scripture, the reading of Jesus's words. Christians believe that this God, this life force, that essence that you feel sometimes late at night when you're, when you're trying to sleep, but you're, but you're alive and, and you can't quite close your eyes, that essence that's there in the delivery room, that essence that's there when people pass away and you feel that presence That essence took flesh in Jesus and walked among us. In the person of Jesus, the will of God, that cosmic, universal presence took flesh perfectly, wholly, fully, and showed us what it means to walk in communion with God, creation, and everyone else. The early church quickly named that the will of God, that cosmic force, is most succinctly seen in the person of Jesus. This is why Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. The way to God is inescapably the way of Jesus. And so, to answer this question, to dig at this word liberal, is there only one way to God? Is there only one way to heaven? Christians say unequivocally, unapologetically yes and it's the way of Jesus and so so far you're thinking how does that make us liberal stay with me yes there is one way to God and it is the way of Jesus the way of peace and joy and reconciliation and forgiveness if you want to know God's will on earth it's seen in Jesus there is no other way besides the way of Christ And anything that is antithetical to the person and the way of Jesus is frankly not the path to God. So the first answer to that question is yes. Is there only one way to God? The Christians say yes, and it's the way of Christ. 
And so if you, if what you mean is, is there only one way to God, that the way of God is the way of Jesus, peace, love, reconciliation, forgiveness, joy, restoration, is that the only way to God? Then our answer is yes. But if what you mean is that, is there only one way to God? Is that way the only way to God is to have a common teaching and one way of thinking and perhaps even one baptism and and it's contained within the walls of the church? Then the answer is no. And this is what it means for this generous orthodoxy to emerge, for our liberal nature, for our liberal theology to emerge as a church. While the church belongs to Jesus fully, Jesus does not contain himself within the church. Jesus is at work outside the walls of the church, stirring up other people to walk in the way that leads to life. This is a generous, liberal love. This is a generous, liberal orthodoxy. The shocking scandal, a verse we rarely read at at church, is this verse that comes six verses after the actual parable of the Good Shepherd. As I read earlier today, and most readings leave it out because it's not in the lectionary, Jesus is talking to the religious folks and he says, listen, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and and you all know this, you're the religious folks, you get this stuff, But, but, but look, I've got other sheep who are not of this fold and you don't even know about them the presupposition being that God and Jesus is working everywhere breaking through walls breaking through all the boundaries we put on faith through all sorts of people in all sorts of cultures here's the shocker maybe in all sorts of faiths and so if what you me- believe if what you mean is, is that the the only way to heaven The only way to God is that you've got to have a membership in a church and a common way of speaking about God and you have to have been baptized. And the answer to that question, is there only one way to God, is no. This is what it means to practice as a church this liberal, this liberal love, this liberal openness, this liberal orthodoxy that Jesus is the way and yet Jesus is at work everywhere. And it's simply because we, as Christians, have seen God's will take flesh in Jesus that we can recognize it when we see it somewhere else in the world. In the parable we read today about the good shepherd, Jesus uses this interesting phrase. He says, my voice. It's this vocative sort of call that, that is at the heart of our gospel. Jesus, the good shepherd, says that the sheep know my voice and I call them by name and they listen to me. Now, the church has inverted that, right? Inverted that and have said many, only those people who who know and speak of Jesus by name and have prayed this prayer are the ones to know God and the ones to get into heaven. Jesus doesn't say that here, though. Our salvation rests not in us knowing Jesus' name, but in God knowing our name and us listening to that voice. And let's be clear. There are people in the church who do not listen to the voice of God, and there are people outside the church who do. The cosmic view that John gives us is that we are all born knowing the voice of our Creator. All of us, Hindus, Buddhists, Muslims, Christians, and those who listen into that voice, that leads to life. They find it, Christian or not inside 
or not. The way of Jesus is embodied in the church, but it's not contained here. So if if what you mean by is there only one way to God, that, that, you, that you've got to believe like me and know the creeds and read the Bible every day, if what you believe, what you, if what you mean by this word orthodox is that you've got to believe like me and know the creeds and read the Bible every day, then, then, then no, no. God's way spills out into all the world and invites all and all who respond to the voice that leads to life in the way of Jesus. This is the way of God. This is the way to God. God stirs up God's way in all sorts of people. One of my, my dearest friends, Greg, um, who actually laid hands on me this past weekend for my ordination, he, he has told this story before, and it always helps me understand this idea of a, of a generous orthodoxy, this, this liberal theology that says that Jesus is Lord that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, and yet that Jesus is showing up in all types of places and people. The story that he tells of his time in the Holy Land seems to illuminate this fully for me. Greg and, and his wife Molly had a free day in Jerusalem while he was in the Holy Land, and their group leaders told everyone to just go and have fun in Jerusalem, and they'd meet back hours later, you know. So, so they did, and they decided to go and get lost in this old city, which is exactly what they did. They got lost, like very lost in the old city. Jerusalem is this labyrinth of walls and streets and alleys and this cacophony of cultures and religions and prayer horns and bells are like they're going off everywhere and processions are moving by and it can be dizzying and they wanted to get lost and it it wasn't hard for them to do and before long they were smack dab in the middle of the muslim quarter a boy from South Carolina and a Yankee from New Jersey lost in the Muslim quarter. And they explained it was packed and it was hard to move and it was wall-to-wall people. And Molly held Greg's hand as they wove through the crowd and took in the sights and smells, but with a little trepidation because who knows who these people are and, and what about abductions and all that sort of stuff. I mean, Something caught Greg's eye in one of the store windows and he turned to look and he'd lost hold of Molly's hand. And when he turns back towards Molly, she's gone. Just like that, looking up, all Greg can see is this mass of Muslim humanity in all their headdresses and robes and strange smells and strange food and no Molly. And in his mind, she has now been abducted and he's getting ready to be on CNN as the whole world looks for Molly And so in panic, he starts looking for her in every storefront, every nook, every alley. He searches for 10 minutes. It feels like an hour of searching, and he's panicked. And eventually, after 10 minutes of searching, he finds her standing with three Muslim men. Two of them were playing backgammon. She's standing there, and she's chatting with them. And one of them is is her new friend, Mohammed who owns an orange juice store right on the other side of the wall. And Greg comes up and is clearly petrified. And he finally is within holding, hand-holding distance of Molly again. And Muhammad says, come, come and have a seat. And he thinks Muhammad is 
trying to sell them something. And so he, he says, no, no, that's okay. That's okay. We'll find our way out now. But, but Muhammad insists with his gestures. He seems to say to them, look, I, I know you're lost. I can help you. Come, come sit down. And so they do begrudgingly, but they do. And they go and they sit at, at the orange juice stand. And he turns over the filthiest little two bucket seats and a little table and, and he squeezes two fresh glasses of orange juice and he sprints off to go find some fresh hummus that his friend makes right down the alley. And he comes back with, with warm hummus and warm bread and he puts it down on the table and then he takes a seat with them and he, he tells Greg and Molly where they are and he assures them that, that these are gifts and that they are his guests. And, and as Greg puts it in that moment, it was like... The way of Jesus was embodied by a Muslim and heaven came on earth through Muhammad and hummus and juice became bread and wine. And Jesus says, I have sheep not of this fold that you don't know about. Is there only one way to God? Yes. Yes. And that way is Jesus. But that way is this way of generous, this generosity, this overflowing. God is liberal with God's welcome. God is liberal with God's love. Such is the way of God. Such is the kingdom on earth. The question for Christians who have been taught to pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, our question is not, can a Muslim go to heaven? Our question is, Can heaven come on earth through a Muslim? Our question is not, did Gandhi go to heaven? Our question is, did heaven come on earth through Gandhi? And if so, then we might just be with someone who is a sojourner on the way of Jesus. This is what it means to live this liberal orthodoxy. There is but one way to God, and it is the way of Christ and many whom we have not yet met are on that way with us. There is peace at the table of the Lord. There is-